Switching mediation providers might seem like a pain in the ass, but it doesn't have to be. If you're thinking of making the transition from Mopub to IronSource, we've got you covered. First, we've created a dedicated tool that removes the manual work when migrating to IronSource mediation. Second, we'll be holding workshops with IronSource experts where you can have all your migration needs taken care of. And if you want to do it yourself, we also have technical documentation for migrating to IronSource mediation in our Knowledge Center. To learn more about these initiatives and begin monetizing with IronSource today, head to www.is.com forward slash migrate. That's www.is.com forward slash migrate. Do you have the tools to turn your insights into action? Let's be honest, not all marketing activities are created equal. AppSlyer's analytics suite simplifies its complex data and gives you a unified view of campaign performance so you can make better, faster marketing choices at every stage of the customer journey. The goal is to create exceptional experiences that keep customers engaged. To succeed, you need to meet your customers where they are. AppSlyer's customer experience and engagement suite, powered by a reliable deep linking engine, lets you create personalized journeys that increase conversion and return on every experience. In addition, AppSlyer is going to keep your budget safe from mobile ad fraud. Bots and click farms aren't going to generate revenue for you. That's why you need a comprehensive fraud protection solution to make sure you're investing in the right channels and only measuring and paying for real actions. Are you ready to start making good choices? Great. Go to appslyer.com and get yourself an attribution partner you deserve. Welcome, everybody, to the Deconstructor of Fun podcast. I'm your host, Mishka Katkov. Today, as always, we have fantastic guests. Uh, starting off with Uri Marchand, CEO and co-founder of Overwolf. Been at it for 12 and a half years in the position of CEO. Um, and Overwolf, for those who don't know, and I'm one of them, so we're going to talk about that. Uh, it's a guild for in-game creators that empower them to create, grow, and monetize in-game apps and mods. I'm going to dive deeper into that. Most importantly, or not, I don't know most importantly, but most interestingly, uh, the company has raised $150 million over five rounds, with, this, with the latest round D being led by A16Z, and the size of the round was $75 million. Uri, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Mishka, and very happy to be here. And those, and those who, are, uh, who are not watching, uh, we essentially share the same shed with Uri, so we're both recording <laughs> this out of our wooden palisades. <laughs> nice. Uh, and then... Um, Second guest, Lee McNeil, CEO and founder of Tebex, a platform that enables creators to monetize game servers, uh, a company that was recently acquired by Overwolf for $29 million, so almost half of the round D. Uh, Lee, welcome to the podcast. Nice one. Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, so let's kick it off with the most important stuff. What is Overwolf? Why, or what is Overwolf? Why is the company such a funding magnet? And actually, before you answer that question, uh, please tell me that the post about Overwolf being the first company to fully embrace the metaverse vision and move its entire operations to a new state-of-the-art headquarters located in Minecraft server was April's Fool's joke, right? It was, yeah, let's start off with that. It was definitely an April's Fool's joke. Um, <laughs> exactly. You know, even though, though we're big believers in digital experiences, we still think that humans need to work when physically present with, with each other. Um, it doesn't always have to be this way, and we're definitely a hybrid organization. 
but this was definitely an April Fool's joke. Yeah, because when you read the comments, people did not get it. The world is so oh, crazy that that I was I was like, this is April, like it's April, and I was going through the comments, and people were so serious about it. They were congratulating you. I know. Uh, <laughs> this what was, a this, bold this move. is kind of what made it funny. Um, I mean, for me, I was really happy to see one of our board mem- members saying something like. Hey, I'm a board member. I just want to put on the record that I supported this decision. Something like that. No way. Well, yeah. he was in it, right? He w- no. No, he was in the loop. Uh, I, I was actually curious to know, you know, what's going to be the deal, and he totally got that. I did get a gazillion messages of people like asking us, on, so how do you guys do video conferencing? I was like, oh man, look at the date, look at the date, look at the date. And um, even last morning, I got this voice message on WhatsApp saying, "Hey, buddy." Um, saw you're transitioning into Minecraft, congrats, wanted to do a podcast and talk about it, you know, those things. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, it was an interesting April's Fool's joke. Yeah, I would, I would block everybody who, <laughs> who doesn't get it. It's like, there's not, there's no worth of a further conversation, but that's me. Uh, please don't, don't follow it. Uh, but anyway, let's, let's get serious. Like what is Overwolf? And and of course, uh, I think you've done recently a couple of funding rounds. I remember just going through the news, mm-hmm. and, and the latest one was that seventy-five. So, uh, based on that, there's tremendous amount of interest from from top of the food chain investors. I mean, A16Z. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think you can get much better than that. I, I don't think you can get better than in in, in our business. Yeah, to be honest. they're they're amazing. Yeah. So, so I think that, you know, Overwolf is building a new profession in the world. We call that profession in-game creators. And in-game creators are people building gaming apps, gaming mods, or managing private gaming servers and making a living doing so, right? We're building a new profession in the world, kind of like YouTube had built a new profession, right? It started as this destination where people would just upload random videos. 80% of those were with cats and you know other funny things. But then eventually it turned out to this huge content platform that adds so much value to the world and has so many people making a living off of building content on YouTube. And this is exactly what we want to do with gaming. We did not invent gaming UGC. It has always been here for the past, I want to say, four decades. People created content around games. At the beginning, it was like the hacking days. And then Warcraft 3 came out and official editors became a part of the mix. But now, you know, there are ecosystems like Minecraft and like Roblox and like um, it exists in other games, and we believe that the big part of the future of the games industry is gonna be driven by community creations. And we wouldn't be that company providing the service because they think that it's extremely hard to, as a studio, build a great game and manage the developers community and do payments and do a gazillion of things that you wanna do if you have a creative community around your game. And we're here to enable that. So I think this is what Overwolf is about in, in, uh, from a high level perspective. From high level, we're going to dive deeper because uh, <laughs> yeah. some of the biggest games are, of course, in in some context, they're mods. Like if you think about Dota 2 or, or Dota or even PUBG kind of being, a, you know, everything coming from Arma. Right. Can you walk me through, um, let's, actually, how old are our typical, how old is a typical modder? Mm, interesting. Um, so I think we we have folks who are in their even late 50s that are still, you know, at it and doing it. Um, and we have folks who are super, super young uh, in their teens. Um, it's hard for me to say where their average is because we don't, we don't actually have that <laughs> be data. It's just based on partnerships that we have. Yeah. What's that? 
that would be actually interesting to see or the, yeah. uh, the demographics of, of the modder like like what is I, I understand that there's no typical modder because anyway my, my question was more like let's say I'm a typical modder mm -hmm. and I'm just gonna throw out a day like I'm a 16 year old I know a little bit of, 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 of a, a lot of things but not really anything like to play games like to mod games I'm deep in the communities uh, I don't have my big twitch channel but I'm big in the modding community how do I get started? Like, like, what is what is what is the sort of example path where where, like, I'm just trying to kind of create a user story of of Overwolf. If you can mm -hmm. walk me through it, so that I can understand a little bit better how how that works. Of course, we all know what modding is. Mm -hmm. So, so I think uh, first thing you have to really love a game. You have to be you know a gamer for the most part. Folks that create are gamers themselves, and they're really connected to this game that they're playing. And let's say it's League of Legends, or let's say it's Minecraft. After getting uh, hundreds of hours in playing the game, and because they have a bit of a technical skill, they would start thinking on, hey, why don't I do this world and have these rules? Or why don't I open my own server for playing with my friends? But then after a while, I'll, I'll say to myself, well, this is actually a really cool server, and what we built here between you know, a couple of friends is actually really cool, and we can kind of take it to the next level and open up this server to our entire like, high school, or junior high, and then seeing some traction, and then open up to some more folks from the country, and then kind of go from there. So I think the journey starts, uh, you start as a gamer, you love a game, you have good ideas on how you can add more value for other players, you test it out, if it works, great, you continue doing it, and if it doesn't, uh, maybe you try again. But I think this is a typical journey. Are there, is it easy to start modding? Uh, I mean, I've no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because I, I, don't think I remember so. like back in the days, I maybe modded Command and Conquer. Like, like that's the only game in like '96. I I made some changes to the units, but uh. so, so actually, you know, we we started as creators ourselves, as like modders ourselves. Um, I finished studying computer science um, exactly 12 years ago, minus one month, I think. Um, graduation was in May of 2010, and then I started working full time on building Overwolf. And um, back then, we were creators ourselves trying to add apps to existing games. Apps are like mods, like overlay mods to existing games and adding functionality that we were missing while playing games. And as creators, we, um, we had so many difficulties. I mean, first and foremost, the tech piece of being able to put a layer inside the game and understanding things like real-time telemetry, speaking with game developers, that was like literally impossible. And we didn't want to get banned, or we didn't want people using our products to get banned. So we had, we had a ton of barriers. And as creators, by the way, we failed. We got to mid-2013, and we had no traction. But we have built a bunch of tools, and at that point we thought, well, if we take all those tools, because we now know from our own experiences how hard it is to build content around games, if we take all those tools and democratize them and expose them to third-party developers, you know, this could be a good idea, and this could be, you know, the one thing we do better than anyone else in the world, just build tools instead of building everything in-house. So I think it's hard to be a creator. I mean, maybe it's easy to be a creator, but it's super hard to be a successful creator, yeah. right? A lot of iterations, a lot of journey in experimentation and trial and error. And I think one of our missions in Overwolf, and now together with Tebex and CurseForge, is to make it easier and easier and to reduce barriers. And those could be creative barriers, those could be technical barriers, there could be commercial barriers, you know, business relationship barriers with the game developers, et cetera, et cetera. 
Uh, so the short answer, um, yeah. I think overall being a successful creator is really hard and we're here to help. Got it. And then Overwolf, by the way, really cool name, uh, offers Thanks. everything that, that comes to it. So uh, the tools to do the modification, um, the, uh, the access to mod communities where you can share information and get people test your mods early on and kind of that early feedback, that community feeling, um, as well as in anything that goes to to the uh, the monetization of, of these and the mods are going where do they go live are they live on some on your own platform or are they live on some other platforms like you know launched on steam or something mm -hmm. um so it depends um we have mod repositories sort of mm -hmm. uh like bucket um for servers but we also have curseforge which is a marketplace for mods or we have CurseForge Core, which is kind of like you mentioned Steam. It's kind of like Steam Workshop, mm -hmm. but cross-platform. So um, going back to your previous question, it is our mission to indeed do all those services and provide all these services. By the way, I think it's an endless task. It's not like we're going to be done in three years. And we definitely have our shortcomings in terms of things that we don't provide in a good way and that we lack. Uh, but this is exactly you know, what we intended building. Um, but I think, you know, ba basically, um, with our different assets, you could either choose to host your mod on one of our repositories or marketplaces or do it elsewhere, ideally with one of our solutions. Yeah, of course. Um, how, how big is Overwolf right now? And, and like, how are you located? I understand everybody's in Minecraft servers, uh, but, but yeah. outside that. Uh, so outside, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Outside Minecraft. So and just walk me through a little bit from the growth. Like I understand that you tried until 2013 straight out of the university from computer science, but since then it's kind of picked up, especially during the, uh, the last year, if you can kind of walk me uh, through the, uh, the recent history of Overwolf. Sure. Um, so right now we're 120 people, including Tebex most recently that have joined us, a team of 10. Um, we're headquartered in Tel Aviv where there's about 80 of us and there are uh, 10 folks in the UK and then a lot of people from different parts of the world, uh, Ukraine, Russia, very relevant, by the way, uh, but also Italy, Canada, and Korea. Uh, and these are people that, you know, we met along the road and we thought could be a good fit in teaming up with us. And we found ways to, you know, team up and work together. Um, I mentioned physical proximity, so it's important for us to make sure people fly in in the pre-COVID days, potentially now post-COVID days. <laughs> Um, once a quarter to you know plan and interact, and once a year to have everybody come to the HQ for uh, work week. Um, so this is kind of where we are company-wise um, in terms of funding and you know how that evolved. So we started the company; uh, we were three back then, um, and I think for the next uh, three and a half years, our maximum number was like nine or ten, roughly. And then back when we've done our A round, we've grown the company to about twenty, twenty-five. Uh, this is the end of 2013, and uh, it's been a slow process of taking all the tools that we built in the first three and a half years and outsourcing them kind of or opening them up to third-party developers. We started getting early traction in 2015, early real traction. Uh, we started doing monetization in 2016, and I think the reason 2021 was great for us, by the way, it was great for a lot of other tech companies, um, so we're not you know, too special on this front, is that we started very early on and with a very sort of grassroots approach, 
we've iterated on tools that other people found really valuable, the creators found really valuable, and we hit an inflection point with uh, creator engagement. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have um, a lot of creators that we work with, about 30 million monthly active users, uh, wow. 10,000 creators who make anywhere between a couple dollars to over $100,000 a month. Uh, the company itself is like operationally profitable. And so it became appealing for, I think, investors that look very broadly on the industry and are betting on specific behaviors kind of maturing in, and scaling. Um, and I think this is what we saw happen in 2021. And by the way, I should say Tebex, you know, leads with us and Tebex has grown in a pretty similar way um, of, you know, bootstrapping the business and just iterating and working with customers to the point that got them to build a very impressive business. Yeah, before we, we jump in on, on, yep. on Lee, on, on Lee uh, before we start, <laughs> start talking with Lee on, on Tebex growth, uh, can you just explain how Overwolf makes money? Because you're operationally profitable. Uh, 80 people in Tel Aviv is not cheap. Isn't Tel Aviv no. like, cheap, like the most expensive city in the world at the moment? Yeah, it is <laughs> or a very at least in, city. in the top five, for sure. Yeah. Um, sure. Uh, the business model high level is we do a rev share with creators on Overwolf. The split is 70-30, creators get 70, we get 30, and the creators themselves make money either from ads or subscriptions. So in that sense, it's kind of similar to Spotify, mm -hmm. where you know there are ads on Spotify and there's a subscription, and as an artist, you're gonna get paid based on thresholds of engagement and those kind of things. So it's a very similar model in that sense. If you created something and people are using it, you're gonna start monetizing. If people are happy to support you, you're gonna continue monetizing, and this is how it works. Got it. So if somebody plays my mod, they subscribe to it or, or how, how do they pay for it? Do they buy the mod? They could. Uh, so, okay, interesting. So the first thing, if someone plays your mod or mod pack, they would download your mod and you would get a download count that you're going to get rewarded for. That's one. Um, if people subscribe generally to the service, kind of like you subscribe to Spotify, mm -hmm. then you're going to get another kind of in, like a proportion, like your relative part of the subscription based on the engagement. Uh, something that we haven't added yet is direct donations, maybe kind of like Patreon, but made for modders. Mm -hmm. And it's something that we have on the roadmap. And hopefully with the help of uh, Tebex, we'd be able to expedite on this front. Got it. Interesting. So essentially, uh, a person who is modding is running uh, their live service and they're yep. communicating with the, uh, with the team, they're taking their, their feedback. And as they're engaging, they're like a one man or woman live service team. Correct. Uh, I mean, sometimes it's a group of people, by the way. I mean, sometimes, oh. you know, it could be, uh, sometimes it's companies. I mean, we have companies also building products in Overwolf. Even Intel, um, relatively big company, has chosen Overwolf yeah, as a well. platform for, <laughs> for their, uh, like, loyalty program uh, product uh -huh. uh, that they're building as, like, a gaming app, kind of like GeForce Experience, but using uh, the framework and tools that we provide. Um, so it's, it's really, um, you know, it could be a single person, but it could be a larger company. Interesting. Okay. Well, now I understand a little bit more. Cool. And I'm sure everybody listening here understands. I, I try to ask very simple questions. Sure. Because I'm a simple person. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, Lee, uh, why did Overwolf meet Tebex? Why did Overwolf meet Tebex? So yeah. I think the <laughs> good question. So I think with with Tebex and Overwolf, we kind of we share a very similar kind of passion for UGC. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Tebex was founded on the whole basis of allowing people who run multiplayer servers to monetize the content that they create within their game servers. So, <clears throat> you know, Overwolf, they like to support mod creators and app creators and Tebex, our whole passion really is supporting game servers. So 
you know, me and Eri started speaking around a year ago now, and I think it was very clear from the get-go that we shared that same passion. So we was like, you know, let's let's kind of see where this goes, and here we are today. Uh, you know, Tabex has now joined the joined the pack, as we like to say. Um, and yeah, very excited for the for the future, really, of you know, overall helping us grow. To be honest. And what did Tabex do? Like, like what was your service? Because I understand. So first of all, do please talk about how you bootstrapped your service and and grew it into a, into a profitable company because that is a, a feat on its own. Uh, but also just do, do walk us through like what does Tebex do? Sure. So with, with games you have single player and you have multiplayer. Now certain games support multiplayer but they actually allow um, individuals to run their own game servers. So around 10 years ago uh, there was a popular game kind of starting to happen called Minecraft. I'm sure everyone's heard of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Minecraft was, yeah. <laughs> Minecraft was very different back then in the sense that you had these kind of tiny servers and you could see people starting to create content within these servers. Now, what was happening was people started to sell this content, but instead of actually having an automated system to allow them to sell their things, they were using kind of buy now buttons of PayPal and then mm-hmm. people would buy things and they'd, they'd give them the items manually in game. So I kind of came along and with, with my background in other kind of games such as RuneScape and, and Habbo, I, I made, uh, originally it was called Bycraft, and effectively what you did was you installed the plugin on your Minecraft server, and then we provide the game servers with a web store solution. So mm-hmm. the game servers would give the web store to their players, they could browse their products, be that VIP ranks, in-game items, upgrades, etc. And then the players would purchase them items from the web store and Tevex would handle the payment and then provide the items in-game automatically. So we kind of automated the entire system. Now, you know, fast forward over the next few years, Minecraft became very, very popular, and game servers became one of the, the major aspects of Minecraft. You know, the benefits of, of game servers that it kind of creates new content for players to enjoy, it expands the longevity of the, of the game, um, and this really is all about UGC as a whole. You know, when you allow people to create content on top of your game, you increase the the, the, the lifespan of, of that game because there's always more content to to experience the players. And Tebex really was the the foundation of that because we allowed people to make money from this and that opened up new career possibilities. You know, when creators are starting to get paid for what they're doing, they can actually look at making it a full time opportunity. You know, they're getting paid so they can spend more time on it, which in return allows them to um, create more content and it's kind of that ever you know, growing circle of opportunity for people. So, yeah, I mean, kind of how we how we bootstrap the company. So, I founded Tebex when I was sixteen. Uh, had no external investment. I think I had twenty. I think that the news article was, it was twenty twenty pounds, which was which was true. I actually, someone lent me that twenty quid, and I did eventually <laughs> pay him back for me to buy the domain name. Um, but yeah, we, you know, we went for an interesting phase, really. That you know, we tried to get investment and we, we never did bother because we was profitable and we always have been profitable from day one. So we kind of mm-hmm. grew naturally. We didn't grow faster than we kind of um, could manage. Um, and then we kind of, we, we, we grew off the back of UGC becoming more and more popular. Uh, and then, you know, Overwolf came along and said, Lay, let's, let's partner up and here we are today. Got so so basically a uh, payment provider Haba Hotel that's a, that's an old game it is, uh, yeah, it is an old game. so yeah. uh, so um, so you start okay so a payment provider um, essentially is, is what Tabex is yeah so and then yeah go ahead so we remove all the complexities around receiving mm-hmm. payments within game servers you know people who create game servers they're good at 
you know, one thing, and that's making amazing content for their players to enjoy. Mm -hmm. Accepting payments, uh, dealing with chargebacks, dealing with sales tax, etc., is complicated. And we come in and remove all of that complexity from the game servers and just let them focus on doing what they, are, they do best, yeah. which is creating content for their players to enjoy. That's what a lot of blockchain games need. Uh, anyways, <laughs> so, so uh, okay, so we're now as a part of a of block... As, as a part of, uh, of Overwolf, you're, uh, did Overwolf have before, a, like, because, I mean, you were a business that was scaling, so you also had a payment system. So what was about Tebex that was, that was different and, um, and better than what you've built? Uh, sure. So we've integrated a third-party solution for payment-related needs. Um, the thing that Tebex had is the built-in services to enable that for servers. So they have the A to Z solution anywhere from the server plugin that you need to integrate from the web store CMS type thing to uh, data and analytics on what's happening on your server, caching out for different creators on different wallets and different ecosystems. They really had built like a dedicated solution that is the best in class solution for that specific audience. And, you know, theoretically, folks could potentially use Shopify or could potentially use PayPal or other solutions. Um, but this is, you know, the best one that was tailor-made for the needs of server owners. So this is why we felt like, you know, this could be a great start and then we can grow from there. And since we're strategically, all we care about is building services. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for us, it definitely opens a new category and it's definitely a service. We felt like it's a strategic fit. And and they and was Tebex used already in the mods made by in, in Overwolf or by, o, by no. Overwolf? Yeah. Using <laughs> no, yeah. No, so so mods are usually you usually can't sell mods. You can you are allowed to sell merch inside private servers, uh, but EULAs tend to prevent you from say selling a mod pack for Minecraft Java, or selling an add-on for World of Warcraft, or selling an app for League of Legends, mm -hmm. you know, etc. So for us, this was like opening up to new audiences. Okay, so basically with, with Tebex, players are able to do, to essentially offer microtransactions in their mods. Am I understanding correctly? In, in their with, servers, right. In their servers. Yeah. Correct. Huh, okay. Well, that, that brings it even more towards uh, uh, live service. And one thing yeah. that, Lee, you mentioned that, that there, was a, there was a cultural fit, and I understand like both of you uh, started off like right after, like, I mean, you didn't even go to university you started this at <laughs> no, 16 no. <laughs> like you skipped that part <laughs> so, so both of you started you know uh, from the bottom essentially just just with with no VC money and just doing you know working on your passion um, that's of course a cultural fit but but how do you how do you find or how do you measure a cultural fit especially during the uh, if, if you started you know on the deal like a year ago so you were doing um, you know, meetings in, in Roblox world. Uh, <laughs> like, how, how do you find that, that cultural fit through, uh, through a video conference? Or did it end up with you, with you having a meeting and, and then after you've met face-to-face, -face, you, you closed the deal? Or how was it? I think, from, for, for me anyway, I think the, um, I vividly remember the first time me and Eri spoke because I think for the first, like, half an hour, we just mm -hmm. basically had this, like, dreaming session of backwards and forwards of how we see things in the next 10 years. Yeah. And... Yeah. For, for me, I had that same conversation with someone else, you know, five, 10 years ago. And I think mm -hmm. it's a very kind of future looking kind of um, 
industry and I think when someone actually explains it back to you exactly how you explained it to them that's a very rare kind of opportunity so I think from the very early days you know even before commercials were starting to be spoken about um, we knew that we shared that same passion and I think that culture fit was very important to kind of getting the deal done uh, in the way that was uh, the, the best way possible really um, I think you know and, and your, gut, your gut instinct tells you when things like that are right because it's such a big transaction so I, I, I don't know if you have anything else to add to that, Uri. No, sure. I, I think what I, I, first I agree 100%, but also I would add that um, because we've dealt with, um, so before Tabex we were uh, like over 100 people, right? 110 people. Mm -hmm. um, as you're scaling the organization, you understand that you need to be clear on your structure and on your core values and on how you do things and sometimes more importantly, how you don't do things as part of your organization and what makes it unique compared to other organizations. And so as we spend the time articulating these values and writing them down and putting them on our website, it's by the way, available there um, under our culture. For me, a culture fit is uh, value alignment um, on top of the things that Lee mentioned. And I felt like in our conversations, there are uh, dozens and dozens of example of cultural alignment which is reflected in value alignment, you know, anywhere from things like uh, transparency or candor or being willing to um, get feedback and not get too defensive. And, you know, let's just think together on the concrete thing we're trying to communicate and find a solution um, and many other things. So I think for me, that's, this was a very important piece. And you're right. I mean, when we've flown the team uh, to meet us face to face, that was also a critical part on determining culture fit uh, and chemistry and, you know, all those things that don't necessarily go well through Zoom or one of the other <laughs> yeah. solutions. Well, I, I really wanted to ask that question because I've seen so many deals go through, uh, well, so many deals went through during the, uh, the, the, the lockdowns and people yeah. never met and they just explained, you know, I haven't had people here on, on this podcast explaining like hundred, multi-hundred million acquisitions that were done through Zoom and how cool it was <laughs> to have this conversation. I'm like, you guys are crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, but okay, so and, and how when when did you come up with values? Because um, I mean, it's a, it's a long road for a company like yours. And, and for the beginning, you were for for several years there was only ten of you. Um, I assume that the Tebex didn't have like a you know uh, a strong written down values and, and value workshops done and then like mission statements and that kind of stuff. Like you guys were just living the values. Uh, but but how did uh, how did Overwolf arrive to its values and and how do you enforce them? Because your company is growing quite fast. Uh, it mm -hmm. has multiple locations around the world, and and uh, I understand the mission is simple. It's simple. I mean, simple to to communicate. And these acquisitions, you're, you're bringing people that share the same mission. But but values is like how do you work to achieve that mission? So so how did you how did you arrive on on, on those values, and, and how do you mm -hmm. kind of like um, I don't know enforce is a really bad word. How you, do you set examples <laughs> for people to follow those values? Sure. So, so I think it started off for us when we were at around say 40, 50, 60, which is a size in which um, I don't have and potentially some of the leadership team members don't have as much face time with everybody in the company. And we're starting to form this layer of middle management, which may come to the company with other beliefs or other perspectives. And we just felt like if we're not going to make sure there's alignment, we're going to face uh, problems. Um, as always, first we faced the problems and then we figured out what the solutions are. So, you know, we had, we had a couple of hires that weren't the right fit 
And then we thought, well, uh, it's obviously our fault. How can we fix that? Oh, there's this thing called culture and values. Let's figure that thing out. And then we started this discovery journey um, that uh, um, I think we're still in it. I, I feel like we have a good MVP and a good, you know, 1.0, but it's an ever uh, progressing and um, it, it's like a constant evolution for, I think, your culture and your values. And the way we started is we um, set a bunch of people, we tried to think about what makes us unique, and then we've done this uh, survey for the company and we asked people to add more, and then we've done this all-hands meeting, and you know we came up with this list of about 16 or 14 values that felt so generic and boring. <laughs> Uh, and could have been innovation. Yeah, that's kind of thing. honesty. Oh wow, honesty. You, you, you guys aren't lying, really. Wow, nice the transparency. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so it just felt so bad and and so like generic and just like a boilerplate that any company in the world could put on their walls and it would mean absolutely nothing. Um, and then about a year and a half, um, maybe a year and a half ago, we said, you know, we we want to level up, and we took the time to spend with um, a branding agency to help us work on our visual identity as well as our culture and our values and in this process of having conversations with our partners and asking you know a third-party partner what makes Overwolf unique and um, you know talking with ourselves and digging deep and then digging deeper we came up with four values that I think are what makes us as what makes us a company so these values are um, become legendary that talks about constant evolution and striving to be better tomorrow level up together that talks about teamwork on the hunt that talks about hunger and support main uh, that comes from the mobile world uh, but it talks about a mindset like uh, our mindset has to be that we provide services for creators we put the spotlight on them and we're like the support player just like a support player in League of Legends um, and there are a bunch of other you know uh, information there and uh, written sentences to help you further understand why this is who we are and why this is our culture. The way we sort of enforce, enforce is not the right way, it's educate, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. and the way we educate, I think, is we we constantly kind of quote and remind those values and when we celebrate successes, we say, well, that was leveling up together. And you know, you were really on the hunt over there and you kind of grabbed that pray and you know, you know made something good out of it or you know how do we support main this situation in ukraine and how do we reach out to our community you know so we just talk this way and at some point and we're not quite there yet i think but at some point i hope it would become just just the way we talk and the way we act as an organization and if someone new comes along they would kind of get absorbed to that feel yeah i, I get it i actually one question so i would when i'm when I was going through your web page, which is really cool, but this is something that I've heard sure. <laughs> on our web page. It's quite masculine. Do you get that a lot? That, uh, uh, that you mean the... I mean, down from the name to the, the color palette. Um, this is just a, uh, like I've gotten a lot of, uh, I mean, nowadays you do get a lot of feedback on like how welcoming you can make your, your, your company. Um, so have, 
Overwolf is, uh, <laughs> is you know, very, very masculine. Name and and yeah. let's be honest, my, my company name is also extremely masculine. So this is just me kind of reflecting, like, how do you approach this to be more... No, not that one. Uh, the, oh, sorry. Uh, the, my, yeah. the Deconstructor of Fun is, like, this is my passion project, to be honest. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's just, the, like, the, I figured... My gaming yeah. company is called Savage yeah. Game Studios. That's, oh, uh, Savage. That's, nice. even, that's on, the, on the level with Overwolf. So I'm just asking, yeah. kind of, like, uh, for, for your support, like, how do you make it more... Uh, accessible because when you go to your career page like the values are strong like very you know on the hunt that's uh that's a quite quite <laughs> aggressive <Yeah. laughs> i get it but but not every but then you put in a lot of photos where you see the you know the team and they're all happy together and then you go back again on the web page it's like all darkness and and magic like how do you make it more inclusive how do you how do you how do you do that because the company is growing and i assume that that hiring talent is difficult especially if you're in tel aviv especially if your majority of your employees are in tel aviv the, uh, the competition for talent is uh, probably the uh, the toughest in all the world. Mm -hmm. uh, so so how do you make it in, into a more inclusive? You know, it's I, I think it's a wonderful question, and and I think the women on our team mm -hmm. are at a point where they kind of feel at home, um, and you know we 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 live in a world of fantasy and we serve creators who create in worlds of fantasies and i think this is really authentically who we are and what our dna is and for the women on our team it seems like it's quite aligned and you know most recently we've done this um brand awareness campaign on billboards in israel because the market is super competitive and we wanted to raise awareness for the company so what we've done is to take photos of our team members and they're you know dressed up as like developers slash warriors in a pretty i would say you know fantasy world um, but that created a lot of noise in a good way and actually mm -hmm. reading some of the comments on linkedin i saw um someone sharing uh it was it was um Kaumel, who's who led our um branding process from his uh, agency atreo yeah. and he said that his daughter uh told him something like Dad, look how powerful this woman is. Um, and it's, you know, one of our support engineers holding a virtual sword yeah. uh, on a giant yeah. billboard. Yeah, and, you know, f for me, that, that, that was great. And for me, like, this is just who we are. And if you feel like you can connect with your inner, I don't know, uh, power <laughs> capabilities, love for fantasy, then, you know, we're the right place for you. And we're, we're trying to put a better and better emphasis on... Um, I guess diversity inside the company and uh, you know right now I think we're like 70 30 um, men women so kind of okay probably below average not where we wanted to be I don't know that that was a uh, quite a vague answer to how we yeah. make the company more inclusive but I think we just stay authentic and stay true to our roots well that's 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 kind of like a what I mean, nobody has, I mean, some people might have the right answer, but I'm just curious about it because right. there's a way to water down your culture and be, as you said, like do, do what you do with values where they don't mean anything because they yeah. mean everything. And, and you, you guys have a, have a, you know, people should go to Overwolf's homepage and kind of look at it. It's, it's as overwolfy as it sounds. So it's really cool. But cool. sometimes <laughs> when it's cool, it, it makes it feel that, oh, it's a boys club. Uh, but like, how do you cross the line of like, no, 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 it's cool for everybody. And mm -hmm. we don't want to make it less cool. We just want to make it cool. <laughs> like, as you said, virtual swords for everybody. Right. <laughs> so, so um, anyways, um, let's talk about a little bit about the, the, the future of UGC or user generated content. How do you see this? 
this um, this progressing because I'm I'm drawing parallels in my head to the, all the metaverse talks and and, and NFTs and, and you name it. Um, what's your kind of a um, view of the future? Mm -hmm. So I think we're at an inflection point, and I think uh, more and more people understand the value of uh, open environments versus closed closed walled gardens. And so if you're building a game right now and you're thinking multiplayer, you it would be a good idea to think about a private server architecture and not just having a centralized place where you control everything and you need to be responsible for scale if the game blows up and you're going to be the only one responsible for creative. Um, in a lot of ways, you know, server code can be open source uh, under the right license and to allow you know folks to create. I know a lot of people think, oh my god, I'm going to open the source code for my server, what's going to happen? But well, what's going to happen is that if your game's good, a lot of people, a lot of smart people are going to take it and make something interesting with it. And if you put the right license in place and you have, you know, a piece of the pie as it grows, then it might be, you know, a good idea. And I think, um, again, like UGC has always been there, but we've reached this inflection point where more and more people trying to understand, are trying to understand how to make it happen and how to scale and how this becomes a revenue stream for them, as well as keeping their game on the shelf forever, potentially, if they do a good job. Uh, from that perspective, I think we're just at the beginning because of the different complexity layers. And in this big metaverse, hopefully Overwolf and our different business groups inside the company, we're responsible for empowering the creator layer and making it easy for game studios to have a creator community for their game. And Lee, you've been, you've been on it for almost as long a time as Azuri. So what's, what's your take on, on the growth? Like, have you seen, um, I, don't, I don't know if you guys have any stats, but, but how, many, how many creators, and what's the growth of the creators, and what's the growth of the companies that are um, enabling modding or even encouraging modding over, over the past decade? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I mentioned this earlier, but I started kind of modding in like the RuneScape private server days and the Habo private server days. And, and back then, they weren't really kind of legal things to do. I mean, you don't really care about that when you're 15, working out of your bedroom at your parents' house. But, um, you know, looking back all of you know, them 10 years ago and seeing how the industry is starting to change from loads of creative kind of young people working on these illegal type modding platforms and now actually over the next, over the, you know, now, we're at a position where game studios are actually starting to realize there is no reason to not allow people to do this. And I think one of the major reasons potentially is because they were, game developers was always, was, was always scared of them, you know, potentially taking away revenue from their game. But actually with platforms such as Tabex and Cursewatch Core, you know, we're actually allowing now game developers to say, instead of stopping creators from doing this within your game, actually allow them to do it, but we'll, we'll moderate it, we'll allow you to monetize it. Um, you know, if there's people who are doing things that shouldn't be done, we can stop them from doing that. Mm -hmm. And as Uri mentioned, we can actually give them a slice of the pie. And I think that kind of enablement of creators is taking people away from kind of the, the, the black market modding to actually being legitimized. And that, to answer your question, I think because game studios are starting to allow that, it's actually starting to make modding more, more popular. And mm -hmm. we're kind of seeing that in the growth because it's becoming more acceptable to do that. And Minecraft servers was, was a big element of, you know, kickstarting the, the game server industry, for, especially. And what, what encourages game studios to, to allow modding? Like, uh, out of the latest mods that, that, that have been really successful for, in my perspective, which has no understanding of mods, is of course the, uh, the, uh, the you know, uh, auto chess. That kind of came out of nowhere. And what 
followed the mod was actually the companies, you know, Riot, Valve, several others did their own games based on, on those mods. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I'm just trying to understand what is the, um, is the benefit from a, for a company, let's say I'm Riot, uh, uh, I wish. Uh, <laughs> so, so I'm watching watching these young, hungry modders do these super interesting things uh, with the assets that I provide them. Um, is my incentive to just, hey, I'm here to build a community. I'm really excited to see how how they're reacting, or is it more capitalistic, where I'm looking at great idea, guys? Um, check this out, and then I come <laughs> out with uh, with full on games. Like, what, what's the, what's the perspective? Uh, you want to take that, uh, Lee? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, yeah, I think something to, something to compare this to is, you know, you'll have a game that is released and it'll have an instant popularity increase, uh-huh. but then you'll see that game potentially start to lose traction. So what happens is you have game studios who release DLC. So they'll release DLC to kind of increase the popularity. Mm-hmm. Now, a different way of thinking about this, I think, with allowing creators to create mods on top of your game is that you actually allow the creators to constantly release new DLC on top mm-hmm. of your game which gives players more content to enjoy, and really it's, it's increasing the lifetime of that game. I mean, if you look at, for example, Minecraft, it's been going for like 12 years now, it's still yeah. immensely popular. If you look at Grand Theft Auto V, it's still yes, immensely exactly. popular. exactly, I almost mentioned yeah. that. That one is the, and it, the most And it's because instead of just releasing like the odd DLC pack all the time, which the game studios have to invest significant amount of money in to keep releasing this DLC, if you let creators do that for you, it's a constant stream of new content, now, the developers can receive a revenue share of that, and they're not actually having any kind of upfront investment, but it's still maintaining the longe- longevity of the game. So developers that- do receive a revenue share? So GTA V, like, that's one of the most modded ge- Like, it's insane. Rockstar has no ability to do live services, and then their game is like probably the most sort of a live game out there. Um, so do they, they receive a cut from those mods, or how does that work? Um, to, our, to our best knowledge, uh, they do not. Um, okay. However, we envision a future in which they will. And, you know, um, other game studios and IP owners, be there AAA or indie, will have that ability. And we, as Lee mentioned, can be the facilitator that provides the technical tools, but also the live ops, uh, you know, hands-on work that's going to be needing to get done kind of make that feature happen got it got it oh they don't receive the picture probably fuming <laughs> but but look i mean there are derivative values i think there were for a long time like the game number one on twitch and it's mostly you know gta 5 role play so you know um 5m etc and um they still probably get a good amount of people still just buying the game Mm-hmm. Uh, so this, for them, could be potentially be looked at as a marketing budget. Uh, you know, this is great. I think this is not good enough. I think that in you know, in an ideal world, at some point in the future, and I, I don't know if it's a a year or five years or a decade out, I would like to see if, you know a world in which game developers you know officially participate, but without the heavy lifting, and you know, will help with the heavy lifting. Yeah. No, no, I understand, and it's just the world of public corporations where if they see somebody's making money, they always see that we could be making that money, right. uh, given that they use the asset. So, um, all right, uh, on to the last thing before I let you guys go. Metaverse, blockchain, NFTs, like where, where do you stand with, with all of this? Because I assume, you know, the, the type of services that, that you're making, it's almost like you're talking about 
you know, the typical metaverse talk, uh, except mm -hmm. that you actually have a, have a profitable business around it and, and 30, million, million, 30 million active monthly users. So this is actually mm -hmm. uh, a real thing. With, with uh, Web 2 still. <laughs> yeah, with, with um, Web 2. Like, how is it possible? All these things like, that the Web no, 3 promises, you're kind of doing. <laughs> so I think that the when I think about our strategy, you know, if we were to do something in the space and we are looking at the space, we made a couple of investments because we want to educate ourselves, but we still didn't start writing code or product specs and those things. And, and I would want to see you know, real games, and I want to see blockchain solving real needs in real games. To give you an example, um, one of the things I'm seeing, um, I mean, the, the industry really suffering from is uh, in-game trading, and, um, you know, people who are getting scammed while trading, especially kids, and it's like, it's really annoying um, and bad. And so, blockchain theoretically could provide a safe environment for trading so you know if a game is going to be built on web3 and they're going to allow in-game trading it's still not the metaverse you'll still you won't be able to take your ar and play with it in a different game but in this specific game you're going to have legit trading you know for me it's a good thing <laughs> instead of people just uh scamming each other you know i'd like to start seeing those kind of things nfts um you know, there's good and bad. Um, I think the good is that for creators, it kind of breaks a glass ceiling of Web2 monetization. The bad is we've seen examples of just, you know, people exploiting the system and then pulling the rug. And that's really sad and scams, sure. Uh, also, you know, there are kind of difficulties with the distribution of wealth in crypto right now. You know, not a lot of people own like 95% of the value or 90% of the value. And I think it would be better for the world eventually if crypto you know reaches critical mass it has reached critical mass but as it becomes more popular the distribution of wealth gets a little bit more democratized and then you're going to see less uh, speculations on things i think uh, and less like weird things it would be more kind of conventional oh cool it's another coin versus oh shit you know this is just a gold mine and you get free gold yeah. so i mean i i can you know i cannot speak for the world i can say that for us um we'd like to be helping the creator level of the metaverse grow. Um, we're doing it so far in Web 2. And with Web 3, we want to be focused on real real things and real value add. Got it. And, but, but you're not actively, you know, strategizing around around this. And it seems like you're able to raise money even without the, uh, the metaverse. Type. Oh, I mean, we're constantly thinking. We just don't know exactly what we're going to do yet. Yeah. Um, so are we strategizing? Yeah, I'd say we're strategizing. You know, we're thinking, we're trying to figure out, hey, what, what are we going to do? But, you know, did we launch our creator token? Do you going to mine through people using your products? And then you're going to have exclusive creator NFTs for, or, you know, mod NFTs that you can only kind of download this mod or this mod pack if you have that NFT. Um, not yet. No, I mean, we're not, we're not quite there. Yeah, I think that's smart because it's, uh, it's short-sighted to jump on that. It's a, uh a way to make money a lot now but especially with the companies like yours that is so community driven um, i mean relying on the community to really produce all the content mm -hmm. uh, you have to be really careful with uh, with short-term um, right. monetization schemes yeah Agreed. well i mean you've been at it at 12 and a half years so so it's not like yeah. you're <laughs> trying to turn it um lee um any i mean any points on on blockchain nfts metaverse you want to you want to kind of mention because I mean it's a it's a hot topic. Everybody wants wants a take on it. 
Yeah, sure. I think, I mean, for us, because we're a payments company, I mean, there's there's various issues of kind of cryptocurrency, just from a regulations point of view, compliance. And I think really from, from our research, given the average age of kind of, you know, people who are purchasing on game servers, they don't always tend to have a crypto wallet, you know, like kids don't have crypto wallets normally. So we kind of, we're focusing more on the, the kind of the general, like the, the usual payment methods, be that like PayPal, credit cards, etc. But, you know, we are keeping an eye on kind of cryptocurrency uptake, et cetera, um, because I think it's something that is important to, to to focus on. But, yeah, right now, I think it's just like, as Uri said, we're, we're aware of it. We're just not kind of acting on it just yet. Yeah, yeah, just being smart about it. Yeah. Um, all right. Thank you so much for, for joining the podcast. For those listening for and us. very interested in open positions, uh, what so careers at Overwolf, anything particular that, that, that you know, want to highlight in the, uh, in the open positions? Oh, this is awesome. I mean, we have many open positions in many parts of the world. Uh, so Lee's building up his team in the UK, uh, Nottingham area specifically, with uh, engineers and support professionals and, and QA and, you know, um, I guess other positions. In Israel, we have pretty much everything. Product managers, engineers, back and front end, um, ops people, finance people, like, I think maybe like 30 open positions. So not crazy, but a lot of different positions. Um, but more importantly, if, if you've, you know, listened to the podcast and like the story and, you know, want to be a part of that journey, um, you know, just reach out to us and we'll see if there's an opportunity. And we, just, you know, we've done this with so many, with so many people so far. So, you know, it may just work. Just to add on that as well, Tebex is hiring remotely. So it's not just in the UK. So if anyone likes it, or said, if anyone's listened to this and you want to join the team, please feel free to reach out. It'd be great to be Remotely from to. everywhere or roughly the, uh, the same time zone? Uh, same time zone. That's a good Okay. Yeah, <laughs> just that's, just that's making sure. <laughs> just making sure. So no US. That's, that would be the... <laughs> we are hiring in the US. Um, so, okay. Yeah, okay. East Coast. Also, East, yeah. East Coast works. Yeah, East Coast. <laughs> Definitely. All right, uh, so that's a that's a pretty healthy, um, pretty healthy setup. So, uh, for the folks interested, Overwolf, just just even if you're not interested in in, in new job, just go to the uh, the web page. Uh, the career section is really cool. The uh, the value section is really cool. I'm actually have it have it open here. It's cool in my opinion. I don't know if it's your opinion, so just go <laughs> and check it out. Yes. Uh, and and Uri and Lee, thank you so much for for joining the podcast thank, and, so and educating me thank on, on user generated content and and how this the, how this world is changing. Much success, much luck, and um, hope to see you sometimes in, in, in not Roblox in <laughs> Metaverse, but just actually in real life. Face to face at some point. Face to face. All right. Cool. Um, everybody, thank you for listening, and thank you guys for, for joining. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the whole episode. If you like this podcast, please do leave a comment and share the episode. If you want to access the Deconstructor of Fun community with hundreds of senior games folk, go to our website and apply to the Slack group. And if you want to get notified of all the new content we have coming out every week, do subscribe to the weekly Deconstructor of Fun newsletter. Finally, do remember, we love you guys and we appreciate you guys. Catch you next time.